arms in the air Yeah boy I'm dancing I'm too scared to ever go camping I will never ever go outside again Not by myself and not with my friends Hey! Hi Ryan Hey Spencer! Yeah What it do? Maybe if you could like scream directly in your microphone more, it was people under. would have a better time. I went under or okay, over. Okay, going to turn you down a little bit, bud. Guys, after a hundred and however many episodes of this shit, Spencer should probably know. Only. I'm gonna, I'm gonna scream into my microphone, and I'm too quiet at oh, some oh, point. Program's cocked. You're too decked, bud. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Are you? Yeah. That's good. It's good to see you. Yeah, thanks, dude. You it's look good to great. See you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm wearing shirts and stuff. <laughs> I like that that implication is that good. normally when we record this show, you yeah. are shirtless. It's happened. I don't think that's actually true. Mm. Speaking of 100 plus episodes, we've never recorded shirtless. We haven't. Andrew and, did. <laughs> you know what? That's true. We did <laughs> have a guest on at one point off. who was shirtless. Yeah. yeah. I'd, uh, you know what I'd really love to do? I'd love to record episodes where our physical situation is different than normal. Like at your house? Uh, <laughs> we could. Or like in the living room? My office is finally set up. We're getting, uh, we're getting closer to it. But like, I mean, more so like what would happen if, if we didn't say anything, but you and I just recorded shirtless for a whole episode? Would you guys be able to hear it in the way that we deliver the show? What? what if we did a standing up? Standing desks, man, all the rage. Ergonomic as fuck. Maybe. You want to stand for the, you want to take your shirt off and stand for the rest of this episode and just see what happens? I don't know. I'm, you're welcome to. It will be awkward if I do it by myself. If I just stand up in this room shirtless without you. I think it's going to be pretty awkward either way, to be honest. Well, that's true. But there's really only one way to find out. But so at least if you want to bathing in the there. awkwardness together if we mm. both did it. Mm. Yeah, it made it way less awkward when you start talking about bathing together for sure. That helped a lot. Thanks. Hi, guys. How are you this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of this week, Spencer and I, uh, Spencer and I separated for an important event in the last week. Guys, guys, we're getting a divorce. Spence, Spencer and I. I, I was reminded of uh, I saw a meme floating around the internet today. It was like it was the guys from what's that fucking Comedy Central show with the two guys who work in the Crank hospital? Anchors. No, great, great scrubs. Pro, scrubs, yeah. And is they, that really what you were talking about? Yeah, it is scrubs. Oh wow! No, you nailed it. Uh, okay. And uh, and the two main guys no, are talking not about on like Comedy Central, but that's okay. Well, they syndicated it on Comedy it's on, Central like NBC. <laughs> more than they ever played it on NBC. Okay. Eh, whatever. Anyway, you were watching Scrubs for some reason. Anyway. All time, t- like, bottom five TV show, by the way. It was a meme. I did not watch it. I also did not like that show. You're trash. Uh, but there was a scene where the two main dudes, the buddies, Zach Braff and the other guy. Donald Faison. That's the one. Thank you. They're, like, talking about, hey, man, this is this is how we agreed that we would raise our kids. And he goes, what are you talking about, Bob, man? We're not married. And he goes, I know, but we're a little married. <laughs> I feel like after doing 103 or four episodes of a show together, like, well, we're, we're a little married. When you guys said you want us to get straight to the content, you meant describe Scrubs memes over the airwaves, right? Welcome to the internet, my friends. <laughs> I'm placing the internet inside of your earballs. Ryan, you said we had, speaking of getting to the content, one exactly one voicemail that we needed to play. 
Um, well, no, you- I thought we, you said we can't play it. Oh. Oh, Jesus. There's still music playing, guys. Hello. Pro shit. Um, I can yeah, say. We had I- a listener leave a, a voicemail only for you. That's fair. That we were asked not to play on the radio, okay. on the show. But I can tell you that that voicemail was from our newest What If correspondent, Matt. hey Who accompanied me to the Captured by Robots concert this past Friday night. And that is the event that the kind of married Spencer and I separated for. <laughs> and Spencer attended with What If correspondent, Matt. And I need to know what happened when you saw a robot rock band. So, first of all, about that voicemail, uh, roughly halfway through their set, Matt goes to the bathroom and I'm standing in the in the venue watching the show. And about 45 seconds after he walks away, my phone starts ringing and it's the Skype number. And it's Matt literally calling our hotline from the well, bathroom. I didn't. It's not synced to my contacts or anything, and so I just see the phone number pop up, and I was like, "Hmm, six five one number. That's weird." And then mm, local listener. <laughs> about a minute later, I thought maybe like, I don't know. Whatever. Somebody else locally knew that show was going on that night or something. Who knows? Sure. Uh, and then like a minute later, I get the the notification that we have a voicemail and Google transcribes them. And I start looking at it and I'm reading it as Matt walks back up to me <laughs> with his phone in his hand. He's like, oh yeah, that was me. Phenomenal. Yep. Phenomenal. Um, but anyway. The content we will not share. The concept we have a, shared. It was a very personal message just for Ryan. Um because Matt was filling in for him in that moment. Yes. But the show, um, it was, well, first of all, very well attended. Really? Almost, like, nearly sold out uh, 7th Street Entry, which means... Yeah, I'm sure! Uh, 150 to 200 people-ish yes. in, a, in a very small room. Yep. Um, first thing I noticed... <clears throat> what do you think sound check is like for a robot band? So I wasn't there that early. Well, we, we came in during the opening band, Murph. Yes. Uh, Murph was pretty tight. <laughs> That's great. Good, good for you, Murph. Uh, my favorite part about their set was like as soon as they finished their last song, and I'm just pulling my earplugs out. Guy next to me turns to just stranger next to me turns to the person he's with and he goes, "Yeah, it was all right." <laughs> After watching this like six piece, two drummers. Like, just fucking chaos happening on the tiny-ass stage at the entry. Full, full mosh pit, all this shit for, Sick. like, the past 40 minutes. It was all right. I love the concept <laughs> of uh, of that being, like, a viable music review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. So, I, I, think, st- I stood here for an hour. I didn't catch sound check, but I did because that stage is so small, you can't really backline anything. You just have to tear down the, the previous band's shit. Set up your shit right before you go on. And the very first thing he sets up is a giant, probably like four feet tall by eight feet wide banner, black banner with white text on it uh. that just says, fuck. <laughs> yes. And then on a the man other- man after the sweary boy's heart. <laughs> this stage, if you haven't been in the 7th Street entry at First Avenue, uh, it's built like into the corner of the room. True. So it's an oddly shaped stage yeah. uh, that kind of comes to a point in the back. So on one side, angled out at like 45 degrees, is this banner that says fuck. <laughs> on the other side of the stage, uh, angled the, in the opposite direction, 
is a is a banner of the same size that just says you. Awesome. And then sweet. So I was like, oh fuck you. Yeah, great. Good. I'm on board with that message. <laughs> then he comes out with a third banner. This one is smaller and it's square. It's maybe like three by three feet or something. Okay. And he puts that one right in the middle of the two that say fuck and you. And it says all of. Uh-huh. So he plays his nice. entire set with these three banners across the entire back of the stage. In total, they're probably about 20 feet across. It says, Sick. fuck all of you. That's, <laughs> that might be the most genius thing I've ever heard of. And that got set up before any of the instruments or the robots or anything. That was the that was the most important piece of the show. I got to say, there's something really beautiful about that in that I love the mental thought process of a person who creates a six to eight foot by three foot sign that says fuck and a six to eight foot by three foot sign that says you and is like, this doesn't accomplish it enough. (laughs) It's close. Fuck you. No, 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 no. We need another banner. Not just fuck you. That doesn't truly express the depth Mm. of my sentiment. Fuck all of you. Fuck you seems like it's directed at one person. Yeah, but fuck that one person is every person in a concert who's reading a giant sign that well, says fuck you. But just in case anybody, you know, like it's, it's if you're listening to a song and, uh, you know, they start talking about somebody in the song. Fuck you. Right. You don't assume that that is directed at you, right? It's at another, <laughs> sure. another possibly fictional person. Sure. If he says fuck all of you, yes. Well, now I know I'm included in that. Phenomenal. It Captured ha- by robots yeah. uh is in full in full support of making sure that everyone feels fucked off upon. Yeah. Uh so the banners go up, then he brings out the robots. Um tunes up the robot guitars, places some drumsticks in the drummer robot's hands. Ter- terrific that that's even remotely a possibility. Um, because the the robots are robots, but they're playing actual instruments. They're playing a real drum kit and a real guitar and bass through an amp with pedals and shit. How many uh, robots on stage do we have total? Two. Two. So, so it's one a three-person gu- band. Yep. One robot plays guitar and bass at the same time, and the other one plays drums. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Terrific. So it's um, it's like a, a mostly normal guitar, and there's like a little flipper it looks like a um like a pinball flipper okay attached to something that allows it to move back and forth and that strums the the strings of the guitar and of the bass got it so there's no as far as i could tell like individual picking of notes that happens ever in the guitar it's always mm. strummed okay and then on every fret there is um like a metal little bar i guess that is capable of pressing down that fret Got it. Okay. And I think he must just tune the guitar to some open tuning so that like every fret is just a different chord, basically. Because he presses all strings at the same time. I think so. I don't think it's like capable of playing very complex chords, but it's like, you know, it's fucking death metal, drop D, open tuning, something. It's probably literally like four power chords anyway. (laughs) Yeah, usually. Um, And then the bass is sort of the same thing. Uh, and then he, singer guy who is a human. Yes. Uh, when I said three person band, I should have said two robot, one, one man, two band. robot band yeah. for instrument. 
Four yes. instruments, two robots, and a dude. Three instruments, one vocal, yeah. Uh, he steps on, like, guitar pedals at certain times, you know, for, like, more distortion. Vocal or, modulation, or is he no, actually No, 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 like, for the, for the guitar, because I don't think his robot has feet. Oh, so he, oh, okay. So okay. sometimes he'll, like, take a step towards the guitar. Fucking teamwork. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. And then I think he's triggering, it must be, like, some pretty complex MIDI shit. Okay. Because he has his own, like, computer and, uh, like, mixing board and shit at the back of the stage where yep. he would have to go and, like, start the next song, basically. Sure. Uh, and then he had some robot voices hooked up to, like, effects hooked up to his microphone so he could talk as the robots. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he had some good stage banter moments. Where he was talking to himself? Yeah, but, you know, pretending to be the, the robots. Some ventriloquism robot shit. This guy sounds like a fucking trip. Yeah. Uh, he comes out wearing, like, basically a sheet with a hole cut in it that his head went through. Uh, okay, I was going to say, careful. <laughs> huh? There. Sheets with holes only only is one thing to me. White sheets with holes? Oh, well, those have hoods and stuff. Well, this was brown and no hood and was just clearly a bed sheet that he cut a hole in. It was a joke. Carry on. Uh, the sides were open. And the only thing he was wearing underneath was a pair of jean shorts. Um, Is he a never nude? Maybe, except most of his ass was hanging out of the jean shorts. He's a kind of nude. From the top, not the bottom. He's a semi-nude. <laughs> <laughs> they were not like super short jean shorts. Got it. They were just sagging a bit. Um, <laughs> this guy. He was wearing some sort of like shackles. Uh-oh. Around his neck and his wrists. Did they go back to the robots? No, he was just chained to himself, I think. Cool. Um, and then Effective. he had a bunch of like dirt and grease and st- black stuff smeared all over him. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he screamed at us a lot. And, that doesn't um, entirely surprise me based on everything we've learned thus far. He opened the night by talking about how he was going to turn his tour van into a mobile abortion clinic. Okay, well, <laughs> and we've hit our threshold. <laughs> we have hit our threshold. And uh, at the end of the night, we made it through uh, the whole set. And at the end of the night, Matt thanked me for, quote, expanding his musical perspectives. That And uh, we called it a night. He didn't need to say that. I don't know. He didn't mean it either. But I don't, I don't <laughs> think he did. It was a pretty good time. I think, no, no, uh, tricycle, unicorn, dildo, shenanigans. Sorry, Cam. The only, um, the only crowd participation was the robot drummer challenged a human drummer to a drum battle. Okay. And singer guy, who it turns out is forty-seven years old, by the way. That was interesting information for me. Sick. Uh, brings out. A bunch of like trash cans and trash can lids on stands and sets them up in the middle of the crowd and asked mm. for a volunteer to play drums in this drum battle against the robot. And uh, the guy could really shred. He, he was like a legit drummer that they pulled from the audience. Sure. But he was playing trash can, so it didn't sound great. But the robot malfunctioned during, and the human piece of trash, as the robot referred to him, won the drum battle. Wow. Mm hmm. It was a pretty good night. It was worth my 12 bucks for sure. I mean, yeah, dude. 12 12 bucks? No problem. Yeah. Apparently his last tour was called Your Future is Death. So Mm -hmm. he's not wrong. 
Yeah, most of the songs were about how we're all fucked and uh, humans were made to suffer and mobile abortion clinics and so on and so forth. Well, it was a good time. I'm glad you had a great time. <laughs> I'm not glad I missed it. Or mm, I'm glad I missed it. <laughs> I think he's still on tour. We could probably go find him. I, I'm fine. Okay. I'll be good. I'm glad you had that experience, though. <laughs> he was playing Fargo the next night. Shit. Mm-hmm. Any listeners in Fargo? Holler at it. Wait. Well, no. It, oh, too late. Like a few days ago. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's still on tour. Um, All right, yeah, guys. Just Google Captured by Robots if you want to catch this weird shit that's going around the country. It's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. All right, Ryan. We spent yeah, too long talking buddy. about robot bands. We need to talk about real things that people are here for. And what you might be here for today is... God damn! We're going missing, boys and girls, and anything in between. Is this part like 17 now of our What If You Disappeared series? Might be more. Okay. It might be more, (laughs) but you know what? Part something. You know what? Motherfuckers be disappearing a little too much. You know, there's a lot of people out there, if and there's we, a lot of a lot of places you can disappear to. If we can talk about it this much, I'm not going in the woods ever again by myself or with my friends, as stated in my early four bar freestyle. <laughs> so, I think our entry point to this, well, if we go way back, was the David Plaitis missing four one one stuff. Yeah, our original uh, "What If You Went Missing" episode was. On that topic. first couple of them were, yeah. Um, yes, first couple. It came back on my radar this week because I came across an article about the investigative services branch of the National Park Service, which if you're familiar with the, the David Politis stuff, or if you've listened to our two episodes about him and his uh, missing Can-Am work, one of the things that he says started all of, or the, the primary thing that started all of his research into people who go missing and specifically people who go missing into in uh, national parks is that he claims the national park service doesn't keep any list or any record of people who go missing in the parks. Right. And that they don't have anyone assigned to investigate missing people in their parks. Uh, Can we talk about why that is now, or should we wait to talk about why that is later? What do you mean? Well. Why it is that he says that? I, yes. I don't know why he says that. Well. Because I've I've found information that appears to contradict that this week, which is why, why we're talking about it. Okay. Keep going. Okay. And I'll, I'll bring up what I was going to say in a little bit. So the investigative services branch of the national park service does exactly that. There are 33 agents who investigate the more serious crimes that occur in national parks. So that would include missing people, uh, murder, um, usually any time a death is involved, whether it's accidental or otherwise. And they are, uh, they move throughout the country as they're needed. So they're not necessarily stationed in one park or in one region. They sort of rotate and are able to collaborate with each other as as needed by the, the specific cases that they're working on. It sounds like kind of a stupid comparison, but the way I kind of like 
wrapped my head around it was it's like the FBI, but for parks. Mm-hmm. It's an invest- I think that's a very good description. It's an investigative group who floats where they're needed based on, you know, what's most taxing at the moment or recent events or whatever around the country, but they're confined to the national parks. Yes. And I learned from from reading through some of the cases that they've they've worked on that they do sometimes collaborate with the FBI on some of these investigations because they are just limited in terms of what 33 people can accomplish. Which totally makes sense. And also, I think, you know, the other the other side of it is that they also sometimes collaborate with local law enforcement that own the jurisdiction of some right. of these crimes. Just as the FBI would coordinate with a local police department for an investigation. Exactly. Which is why, you know, to go back to the thing that I brought up and said I'll bring up later, I'll just bring up now. Politis is like, they don't keep track. Isn't that crazy? And the idea is, yes, kind of. And also, it's not to say that there are no records of these people going missing at all. Mm-hmm. It's just that often the records for missing people that occur in state parks lie with the local police enforcement agencies that have jurisdiction over the area that that portion of the national park is in. Yes, they are not necessarily involved in every single investigation in every case, just as the FBI is not involved in every police report that's filed throughout the United States. Or every murder in major cities or whatever it might be. Uh, the article I came across uh, was from or is from outsideonline.com, and it focuses uh, mostly on one case that the ISB investigated. And it was a case of um, a middle aged couple who were in Estes Park and celebrating an anniversary. And Tony, uh, what's her last name? Henthorn. So it was Harold and Tony Henthorn. Henthorn had traveled from Denver to the park to do some hiking and camping and celebrate their anniversary. This is in Colorado, by the way. Yes. Um, at about five fifty-five on September twenty-ninth of two thousand and twelve, there uh, Harold Henthorn places a nine-one-one call saying that his wife has fallen from a a ledge. Um, and that she was alive, but unconscious and that he needed help right away. I'm sorry. I missed this. What year is this again? 2012. 12. Um, as he's waiting for first responders to get to him and this takes a while because he's pretty far out there. Uh, he builds a fire because it's now starting to get dark and cold and starts sending texts to friends and family before his cell phone dies saying here's where we are here's tony's condition uh just fyi i'll update you again when i can can i just pop in really quick Mm -hmm. i just want to um remind everyone who's listening right now is that there is a very specific place where uh it doesn't get cold dark dangerous and your phone doesn't die and that's your house so never leave it (laughs) That's terrible advice. Just stay home and none of these things will happen to you. That's terrible advice. And if we get to the end of this story, 
<laughs> There's an even simpler way to avoid this situation. Well, also this, but also I'm going to stick with my take and never leave Well, then house. your life is going to be boring and you won't know the joy of the great outdoors. My life is dope and I do dope shit. <laughs> that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has created for us <laughs> Whoa, to enjoy. Oh, God, what in the what? <laughs> what the fuck? This podcast changed dramatically. Long con, baby. Long con. Ryan, you'll find you'll find peace in this world if you just accept Jesus Christ. What, what in the fuck? <laughs> I just thought after all of your horrific Bible biblical misquotes last week, I feel like you may need to re-accept our Lord. You know what? Into I'll say heart, I was close. Into your body. And our listeners acknowledged that I was close. <laughs> But also wrong. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> I dropped some J names. Uh, they were close. Anyway. I'm I'm no scholar. Carry on. About two hours later, uh, EMT and a park ranger arrive. And they see Harold, quote, feebly attempting chest compressions on his wife. Um, and the EMT, when he arrives, uh, comes to the conclusion that um, his wife has died and probably has been dead for a while. So Harold and the EMT uh, hike out and the ranger stays at the scene with the dead body overnight, which shout out to park rangers for having to do work such as that and performing it admirably. Oh, yeah, boy. yeah. You want to like camp s- overnight by yourself in the middle of nowhere with a dead body? That's your job today. I, have fun. Uh, mm, boy, I've never mind. Just keep going. I have like so many things that I could just say about that, but I will not derail us. So it takes the uh, Harold and the park or the EMT about two hours to hike out, and then they come back in the morning to take his wife's body out of the park. And start working with law enforcement and stuff. So at first, this is treated as an accident. She fell. She died. Tragic. Sucks. Also, it happens. People do die in national parks due to accidents. And oftentimes, falling is is one way that that happens. Yes. As they start... uh, investigating this or they were encouraged to start investigating this because of some letters and phone calls that the uh the national park service and other local law enforcement agencies started receiving most of them were anonymous um and they all suggested that something might be suspicious about tony's death the main Mm. reason for this was that harold's first wife had also died in an accident that he was the only witness to. Uh oh. And family members of Tony's had uh, been concerned about him being more controlling, isolating her from her family and friends. Um, and he had recently taken out multiple insurance policies on oh, her life. Jesus. And when his first wife died, she was insured for roughly half a million dollars. So he, and he, of which he was the sole beneficiary. What's this guy's name again? Harold uh, Henthorne. Harry, you done goofed, bud. 
You so, made a big goof, you big dummy. One of the primary investigators on this case was a special agent from the ISB, the Investigative Services Branch. And long story short, they put together a case um, suggesting that Harold had, in fact, pushed her, that she had died under, well, basically that she was murdered, and uh, they had no concrete physical evidence of this, but there was enough um, sort of circumstantial evidence, such as like... There was no reason for them to be in that remote of an area. Mm. They had gone way off trail just to get to this point. Um, the multiple insurance policies taken out in her or on her life, at least two of which she was not even aware of. Um, they uncovered a pattern of lies that Harold had told to her and to her family about like what he did for work. In that he was not employed, he was living off the half a million dollars that he had uh, received from his his previous wife's insurance policy, and oh, he was boy. he was going to Panera every day and dicking around on his computer instead of going to a job. Harry, <laughs> you're a dick, bud. Mm-hmm. Bro, okay, T- quick timeout. Yeah. Are you the dumbest criminal ever or just the dumbest criminal that year that you take out life insurance policies multiple in a row on your wife without her signing them or knowing about them and then she mysteriously dies in a one-to-one circumstance in the exact same way as your former wife did? Here's the thing, though. He very nearly got away with it. Like well, the the main thing that even pushed this to going to trial was one woman who worked for the park for the the park service Beth Shot who just personally decided like this is weird it smells fishy and I'm going to get to the bottom of yeah. it and spent a lot of time on her own like she hiked the same trail that they hiked and the same route seven times just trying to document like where would this have happened yeah and why would they have, have gone this way instead of this way and one of the things he had said about why they went off the trail is that they were looking for, quote, like a romantic location. Oh. And she was like, that doesn't make any sense. You would have had to hike through like all this off trail, like really shitty terrain to get to this point. Like, Aren't these thorns romantic? <laughs> right. No, like, this shit hurts. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Um. And so, like, had she not been so persistent that this is strange and there's something here and I don't know what, but I'm going to keep looking and piecing together. It was not it wasn't any one big like aha thing that could prove it. It was layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. Mm -hmm. And it was even after all that, barely enough to convince a jury to convict because it was all circumstantial and no one piece said, yes, absolutely. It was enough overwhelming an overwhelming amount of small things that all kind of pointed in the same direction. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, one of the reasons that I personally think the, um, 
well, we don't have to get into this too aggressively right now, but like one of the reasons I think that the David Politis uh, sort of take is, isn't it strange and inconspicuous that all these people are dying in national parks is sort of fucking goofy to be frank okay is because it doesn't seem all that fucking goofy to me that people die under like sort of sort of like extra circumstances there's fucking water and there's cliffs and there's weather and there's all this shit without cell phones and electricity and heat and food and all these things like it makes kind of total sense to me that people die or disappear or whatever in these circumstances and we don't always know where they go but like I think to your point part of the reason he might have gotten away with it is because it's like yeah dude you're in national parks it's actually really quick in my notes it's um hang on hang on hang on 84 million acres of land in the United States, some of which is the most difficult terrain that exists in the country. It's almost a quarter of the landmass of the United States. If you soldier into it, there is a chance that it might be tougher than walking to Whole Foods. Yeah. And when you when you start looking at where a lot of the disappearances and deaths happen, a lot of it is in the West where you have, A, a lot of tree cover and difficult terrain. So if you're searching from the air, you're not going to be able to find somebody easily. You have elevation. If you're you're searching on the ground, it's going to be hard because there's lots of, the terrain is just more difficult. Um, You have oftentimes like very severe temperature fluctuations throughout the day. And then when you factor in on top of just the, the size and the scale of the parks, 280 million people annually visit national parks. Right. And where does... You you want to take a guess at how many people die annually in parks? Wait, what did you just say? 280 million people a year? Mm -hmm. That can't be true. That's like three quarters of the population of the United States. Uh, It must be 280 million visits. Okay, so some people go multiple times and there are people, I guess, from... Also, yeah, of course, there's people from also tons of international visitors, tons of like international millions visitors. and millions of international visitors. Because we do have an internationally renowned national parks program, and I have I have stats on international visitors somewhere too. But like just from the UK, and this is a lot of this data is kind of old because it's not taken every year. But even in 2003, there were four million visitors just from the UK to the national parks. Jesus. Another three million from Japan, uh, almost one and a half from Germany. Got it. So, so directionally accurate would be like fifty percent of that traffic is probably international. I I don't know. Plus have you to have, look, but plus it's, I would it's imagine a significant you have tons of people who are doing national park trips where they go visit ten of our national parks in one road trip or right. whatever it might be. Yeah, it's probably not two hundred and eighty million unique visitors. But if I go, like, if I were to go to take a West coast road trip and hit six of them. I'd probably be counted six times. Right. Yeah. If, if a million people do or 10, say 10 million people a year do 10 national parks in a year that accounts for a hundred million of those visits Sure, or whatever. So let's to be safe, let's call it 280 million visits. You want to take a guess at how many deaths there are annually? How many total deaths are documented in national parks 
every year? Per year. What number do you have last year? Or do you have every year? Uh, I have 2005 through 2014, but it doesn't fluctuate too much. I mean... Uh, let's let's say we'll say in 2014. Qualifying question. Yes. Is a death? Uh, at what point does a disappearance become a death? Hmm. As in, is well, a missing person who has no body has been found ever is that considered a death or is that considered a disappearance? I believe that's considered a disappearance and okay. would not be counted in these statistics. So, as in, you died. We know you died. There was a body rescued from the death. We can confirm a death. I don't know about rescued, but yes. Well, not rescued. This is confirmed deaths, so not including disappearances. Okay. Um, Man, I honestly don't think the number's that high. A hundred? A couple hundred, maybe? 140 in 2014. Holy fuck, I kind of nailed that right down the the middle. Puts your odds at roughly one in 200 million, or two million, sorry, one in two million. Sure. Chance of dying on any individual visit to a national park. Sure. Which is not bad. No. I bet a lot of things that we do more frequently have higher fatality rates. I also, I would imagine that there is a very specific group of people that are at a significantly higher propensity for issues to arise. Okay. Who would that be? I mean, like, I think there are a lot of, I mean, honestly, yes. (laughs) Like people who show up to national parks and fucking, you want to drink a fifth of whiskey on top of a mountain, like cool, but, but it's, but that's not going to go well. So along those lines, the most common cause of death in national parks, it's gotta, uh, mm, Ooh, wait, do you have the, the rank stacked list? I do. Okay. I feel like the top two have to be like, do they have like bot, like bodily injury? Is that like, like falling or breaking a leg? Falling is, is listed. Um, they don't like drowning has got to be the other one or the other top one. Drowning is number one, which like falls for sure. Like falling, not like waterfalls is number three. Oh, what the fuck would be in between there? Car accidents. Oh. Damn. Right? (laughs) That's fucked up. Well. I mean, it's true. You got to get there. And you got... Driving conditions you're probably not used to. And you got tens of thousands of miles of road that weave through those massive parks. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Often probably driving vehicles that you... Don't drive regularly. Or driving at night. There's absolutely no street lights. There's no there's less signage than ever. And along the lines of your uh first thing about drunks, like that probably uh plays into both drowning and vehicle accidents. And falling. Mm, yeah. Probably all of mm-hmm. the above, honestly. Um other and these are all like you know, these are less than a hundred per year, obviously. Um suicide is fourth. Which that is, is depressing, but also kind of totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. And is not something that is ever discussed in the missing 411 stuff. Is like how much of this could potentially be intentional? Yeah, or or just not even like with the missing people stuff too. Like, because these stats that we're looking at are people that are confirmed to have died, but you, it would be hard to find somebody. 
Yep. So a missing person could sometimes be a suicide. Also not factored in usually in the missing people stuff is like sometimes people want to disappear. Right. Sometimes it's intentional. It's planned. Totally. And I mean, in three of the top four, you know, if you, if you extract car accidents from that list of the top four, three of those top four things are things that, uh, whether accidental or on purpose, you could die and just not be found. Yeah. You know, like you could commit suicide, you could drown and float down river or to the bottom of a lake or whatever. You could fall off a cliff or off a path or whatever and not be found. Those are all ways that you could quote unquote disappear in a national park. That would be a frankly kind of fucking easy to do based on the evidence that we have of those being the most common things to happen to people and and again, like frankly, we're talking about a quarter of the landmass in the United States. If we don't find you in that quarter of a landmass in the United States, I'm not super fucking shocked by that. So one of the specific cases that I want to talk about, uh, there was a two week long search that involved over a hundred search and rescue workers, and spent over fifty thousand dollars and used multiple helicopters and. Yep. It was very thorough. Yep. Um, park services reported that, or estimated, that in that two-week period, they had covered roughly 3% of the area in which it would be plausible for this person to be. Yikes. And and I think, like, you know, one of the things, too, that going back to the politest take that they don't keep track or whatever that that they're, you know, like like I think in some of the what whether inferred or insinuated or not, I think the the take that he seems to put forth is it's um, nefarious in nature, or it's that, a cover up of some kind. Yeah, or they don't they don't record it because there's something else going on that they know about. <clears throat> Bigfoot. I mean. Well, there's that. What's the, um, hang on. I have a quote here from, there's a great, uh, motherboard article that I found as we were talking about this. Um, and this is going to relate back to my point here. Is this the, the vice article about politis that then transitions into generally talking about people missing in parks? Yes. Great. Cause the main case that they talk about in that article is the one I want to talk about next. Hang on. I'm trying to find. God damn it. I'm trying to find this one. Okay. Here it is. Um, in, in, so this is from his first book from missing 411 Western United States and Canada, unexplained disappearances of North Americans that have never been solved. Politis says, quote, I sat in my room at the lodge and listened to the ranger. Tell me about a series of missing people inside our national parks. The ranger stated that the events were very unusual. Many people were never found, and the Park Service was doing everything possible to keep a lid on the publicity surrounding the missing. He explained that non-law enforcement employees weren't privy to all the information, but that the upper echelon law enforcement supervisors inside the Park Service were concerned about the numbers and certain facts surrounding specific cases. Hmm. So the very direct insinuation there is that there's something going on 
that's trying to be covered up. Yeah. And I think what I'm kind of positing, and we'll get into this this case that is the topic of this article in a second, but like, I guess what I'm positing is that could very possibly, if not very probably, not be nefarious at all. It could just be straight up, yeah, dog, we didn't have $7 million to spend over the course of six months to cover mm-hmm. every single acre of landmass that in the 48 or 72 or more hours that this person could have been lost on their hike could have possibly made it to. So they disappeared in the wilderness. And the national parks just do not have the funding. It's not even, it's not even a choice that right. we don't, we don't want to uh, assign our funds to, to that. It's, we just straight up don't have the funds, whether we not whether we want to or not. You don't have the bodies. You don't have the. I don't mean bodies like fucking dead bodies. I mean you don't have the you don't have the manpower, the human power, to go walk into the woods with groups of people on a daily basis to right. look for where did you fuck off to? Right. Did you intentionally fuck off? If you intentionally fucked off, that's a hundred million times harder than somebody who accidentally fucked off. So. What what I did was I went through this list of cold cases that the ISB maintains on the nationalparks.gov website. Which uh, go which, ahead. Which I did not pay millions of dollars to access. It is it is available freely on nps.gov. In comparison to Politis's take though, it is quite short. Uh the list is quite short. Correct. Yeah, I don't and I don't know if it is intended to be a comprehensive list or if this is just a, uh, Notable a pri- list. prioritized list of these are ones that are still being somewhat actively pursued yeah. or these are some of the, um, whatever, some of the more significant ones somehow. I was going to say like potentially the most suspicious in some ways. A lot of them were ones that I could more, that were covered in the media a lot. So maybe it's a list of ones that they frequently get asked about. I, yeah. don't, I don't exactly know. For what it's worth, the list uh, on the NPS.gov site for cold cases has 27 separate missing persons cases that go back to as far as 1969. So I went through those 27 and pulled out three that were also covered in David Politis's missing 411 work, mm. either in books um, on his website, in interviews, or in some of these cases, all of those, all of those places. And just out of curiosity, do you have any sense as to whether he found out about them through that website, or whether I don't know. Okay, S- some of these were pretty. The one I'm going to talk about, the Stacy Aris or Aris case. Uh, was pretty highly publicized in in the media and was n- very close to where Politis was living and working at the time. Oh, I didn't know that part. I did look into the Stacey Ann case. I did not know that was part of it, though. So this happened in uh, Yosemite. It was a 14-year-old girl, Stacy, from Saratoga, and she was on a horse riding trip with her father and seven other people, adult people. Uh, seven other, or was she the seventh 
I found seven others, okay. but it may have been seven total. I'm no, not sure. Never mind. That's all good. Uh, anyway, at the time, Politis was working in law enforcement in San Jose. So it would have probably been on his radar. Do we have confirmation of that? I spent a fair amount of time in the last couple of days trying to find confirmation of that. There, so Politis claims that he graduated from college in, I believe he says, 77 and began working in law enforcement first in Fremont, California, and then a few years later in San Jose. And he says he retired after working for 20 years. Yep. Which would have put him at retiring at ni- in 1997. First of all, it seems a little weird that you're retiring at 42. I don't know what that would be about. Um, the information I could find, which was hard to confirm or corroborate, there is a David Politis who retired from the San Jose Police Department in 2000 and I believe 11. Hmm. Which doesn't really line up with his story, but also seems odd that there would be another David Politis working for the same police department that he claims to have worked for. But also if you if if you personally claim that, why would you claim to have retired from that agency ten years before you actually did? I don't know. Um the other thing that could be related that I also found is that there was a David Politis working for the San Jose police who was uh, charged with, mm, I'm not going to remember the na- the specific crime, charged with a crime related to obtaining autographs from celebrities for personal use, but posing as being like official police use, like for auction items and stuff. What? So he was writing to celebrities on San Jose PD stationery, requesting signed photos, autographs, whatever. And when we say he, there was a David Politis. That the name was of the person this. charged with this, according to court records, was David Politis. Okay. Was an employee of the San Jose PD. At what time? This was in early 90s. Okay. So when he claims to have, during the period that he claims to have worked there. So the only thing, and I'm now purely speculating, those two things can be confirmed. Yes. Uh, sort of. I'm speculating and others have speculated that maybe it was a... Um, if this is the same person who did, who both retired in 2011 and was charged with this crime in the mid nineties and is the David Politis who writes the missing 411 books. If that's all the same person, perhaps when he was charged with that, it was uh, sort of a forced resignation or he was fired or he quit. Like he stopped working there at that point. Yeah. And then in 2011 was granted some sort of retirement what, pension or retirement benefits for that may have been service. delayed for some reason. Got it. As in you can't, well, 
That's the only way I can think of that all those all three things could be true. And also, again, continuing to speculate here, but the based on what we do and don't know about the politis who writes the missing 411 books, he would be in his like early 70s at this point. Uh, let's 70-ish. see. If, if you graduated from college in 77, you would be at the youngest 21, 22. So we're now roughly 40 years removed from that. No, so you'd be like in his early 60s. Mid 60s, maybe. I mean, if he graduated 22, he would be 63. So possible that uh, when you Man, that dude doesn't look 63. Older or younger? I would have guessed he was younger. Mm. I would say from the very close cop face that I got (laughs) when I got yelled at for taking an iPhone photo at an alien conference in fucking Colorado, I would, I would venture the guess that there's a lot of just for men going on in that fucking, uh, in that goatee, that head and that face. Yeah. That's cop, fair. Cop That's fa- fair. Cop face had some hair dye going on. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, back to the story. 14 year old girl is on a horse riding trip with, Oh, wait, wait, what? Sorry. The timing thing. I was just going to close that thing. <laughs> What I was trying to say was... started telling this story like 10 minutes ago. No, 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 no. no. I'll give it to you in one second. Just if you were in your late 50s, that would be a normal time to start collecting a pension. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, that would have put him at like 55. 57 or 55 or whatever. Seven years ago, probably 55, yeah. So that would be like a very specific and normal time for you to start collecting a government pension. Yeah. Yeah, that makes good sense. If all of those things are true. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. This is 1981, 14-year-old girl, Stacy, goes on a horse riding trip with her father and six, maybe seven other people into Yosemite. They're, they're riding for a few hours, and they stop at uh, some cabins at something called the Sunrise High Sierra Camp, and they were going to stay there for the night. They were done riding for the day. They were going to stay overnight and then continue riding the next day. Sure. So they get in and sort of late afternoon, uh, Stacy cleans up, changes clothes, and goes out for a walk with one of uh, the other people on this trip. His name is Gerald Stewart. He was in some places reported as being 71 years old and in some places reported as being 77 years old. I'd say old enough to... Uh... An, an older gentleman. Accompanies her out on this walk. Uh, she takes her camera with her, and she says she's going to go take some photos of a nearby lake. Yes. So she's 14, so adult goes with her. They uh, they walk out a few like a few hundred feet away from the cabin, and everyone else, the other five or six people in this party, all reported seeing the two of them walking away from these cabins yeah down downhill you got a good vantage point they're walking away so this older man gerald sits down on a boulder and stacy says she's going to walk to a nearby lake to take some photos the version of it sorry go ahead it's not clear which lake she was referring to yeah i read i read this too there's one that was only a few hundred yards away and there was one that was about a mile and a half away right uh and sorry, just to add mm-hmm. a quick thing, like the the version that I that I read was that uh, Jerry was basically like, "Hey, 
I'm either 71 or 77 and I'm a little tired right now. Been riding all day. You've been riding all day, you know, been a nice walk, but I think this is this is kind of my limit. And she was like, Cool, no big. Like I'm she was 14, right? Yeah. She, you know, I'm 14. Like you're a you're a young teenager, but you're like capable enough to be like, I'm gonna soldier forth you're a little bit. Fine on your own for yeah. a few minutes, yeah. I'm gonna soldier forth a little bit and and take some photos. And he was like, Cool, I'm gonna rest here until I feel good, and then I'm gonna head back. So he and at least a couple other people in the party watch Stacy walk down towards this lake, the closer of the two, go behind a stand of trees and disappear. Not like vanish into thin air, but they see her walk into the stand of trees. No one ever sees her again. Right. Uh, Gerald waits for, I don't know, it says a while. And then when she doesn't come back, goes back to the group and says, Hey, I don't know where Stacy is. We should probably go look for her. The the thing about it is, depending on the lake that she was headed to, like it doesn't make much sense to me that if she was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go walk and take pictures of," and I can't remember what the what the mile and a half away lake is, uh, Sunrise Lake, Sunrise Lake. But like, he wouldn't have if that's where she had communicated to him where she was headed. He wouldn't have sat there and waited. You're not while someone walks a mile and a half there, takes photos and walks a mile and a half back. Well, it's, it's I'm possible, not sitting on a rock for I mean two hours. It's possible that she didn't say. It's possible that she said, "I'm going to go to the lake and take some pictures." He may have thought that meant the one right there. She may have meant the one a mile and a half over there. I guess I just feel like when you're in that type of situation, that would be something that would be like extremely crucial to communicate about. I don't know, man. A 14-year-old in the 80s is probably pretty independent. Yeah. I'm I just, not going to be worried about the minute-to-minute location of a 14-year-old, especially somebody who seems like they were pretty comfortable in the in nature and like No, totally. I kind of mean it the in the opposite direction as in like I wouldn't tell the 77-year-old man. Yeah, 14-year-olds are dicks. They don't sit, care about other people. Sit, I'll be back in 2 hours, That's, grandpa. Totally sounds like something a 14-year-old would do. I guess. Or they wouldn't think about it until they were halfway there. Like, yeah. oh, I wonder if his old ass is still sitting on that rock. Dude, have you ever known 8th graders to be considerate of others? Like, ever? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, 8th graders are the worst. God, middle school is the yeah. worst time to be a, a person ever. Kids are the biggest dickheads in, like, 7th to ninth grade. When I have kids, I'm just going to homeschool them for, like, That's three another, years. You are three full, years. full of horrible ideas today. Three years. You're going to homeschool your kids and you're never going to leave your house. Bro... That's how you end up living in the suburbs and being boring and having kids. I won't. I mean, I'm going to spare the religious groups, but. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where where that was headed, guys. Uh, A little too far even for me. You lost the plot, guys. No, I had it. I'm just not sharing the plot. Uh, Anyway, after. You keep your shitty plot, you mean, man. (laughs) It was was just mean. It wasn't going to be funny. It was just mean. Uh, They, the group goes and looks for her. They don't find her. And now it's starting to get dark. So in the morning, they go to the park service and say, hey, we lost an eighth grader. Please help. I'm I'm reminded too, sorry, in in these time periods, you know, we're talking about the 80s. 81. 81. There was not cell phones. There may not have been radios. There may not have been like there are so few. Like you know, it, it, I it sounds stupid, but I think it also kind of bears repeating that like the things where we would be like, well, why didn't it happen sooner? And why didn't they have a GPS? You know, like those things are just 
not real. So right. the time well, of just, response for everything is just so much more delayed. What are you going to accomplish looking for someone in the woods at night? Not not a lot. Literally not. And it may not be safe for you or your your search party. No, completely. So starting the, the following day, uh, the Mountain Rescue Association and the National Park Service uh, gather a search and rescue team involving, it was reported anywhere between 100 and 150 people. I think wow. it fluctuated over time. Uh, they had dogs. They had three helicopters, including the, apparently Yosemite owned a helicopter in 1981, and then they borrowed two others uh, that were in the air for a total of over 40 hours. And they spent 10 days straight looking for her over a roughly five square mile area around where she disappeared from. Got it. They, the only thing that ever turned up was the lens cap from her camera. And they found that just inside the tree line where she had last been seen. And after 10 days and spending about $50,000 in 1981 money, they called off the official search and rescue effort. Yeah. And she has not turned up. And not only has she not turned up, no trace of her has turned up. So not a windbreaker, not a shoe. Yeah, no further clues past that lens cap that they turned up in the original search. There recently was someone filed a Freedom of Information Act uh, with the Park Service uh, requesting any materials that they had related to this case. What was turned over was there were some photos from the search and rescue effort, um, the photos of Stacy that had been given to the search and rescue teams, um, contact information for people that worked on the search and rescue effort or like the team leaders for the different groups that worked on the search and rescue effort, and then a lot of press clippings um, related to her disappearance. Two things that I found interesting from those press clippings and from that uh, FOIA information. Uh, first quote, park officials have said it is possible that Stacy hiked to a road and left the park. There was no explanation about why they thought that was possible or how they came to that conclusion. And then second quote, park officials said Stacy was having some family or school troubles and she was missing her teenage boyfriend. Uh, I don't, I'm a little confused about the wording in that second quote, family or school troubles. What the fuck does that mean? That could be a, you know, a you huge know, range of things. You know and that's totally some having, like eighties PC language. You know who else is having some family and school troubles and is missing their significant other? Anyone with a family. Every 14 year old that's ever existed. <laughs> um, also saying quote, teenage boyfriend. Does that imply, because like she was technically a teenager, she was 14, does that imply like older, older, 16, 17? Does that imply someone who can drive? And is it related to them saying she may have hiked to the road and left the park? And are all of these implications just designed to be a little bit more like, uh, Give this people helps a less explain scary explanation. it away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's impossible, no. And those are the only two times that those things are referenced in all all of the materials I could find. Also, is it possible that she got uh, anywhere near a lake and slipped or fell or attacked by an animal or 
pulled Anim- into the water animal or attacks lost or it turns out are super rare really of all of those deaths so on that chart i was reading from animal attacks was that actually like result in death were dead last and it was single digits across a 10 year period in all of the parks combined but maybe also i think they're pretty obvious when they happen Right. Like someone reported seeing because you make people bleed and you shred their clothes and or you find someone's head, Ooh, which happened grody, in one brody. case because a mountain lion took the rest of the person Ooh, and left their head. Double grody, Brody. Not not good eating human head apparently. Yeah, not a lot of muscle there. There's blood. There's like signs of struggle. There's usually clothing ripped and left behind. There are body parts, heads left behind. Like, I suppose, yeah. And they happen less than once a year. I also feel like, you know, the the truer one for me is like, I'm just going to stay behind to get this sunset shot. And all of a sudden you go, oh, fuck, it's very dark. No, this is the path. I'm definitely on the right path. And then you walk for an hour and a half thinking you're coming up on the campsite. And really what happened was you had already walked down to the lake and then you walked three to five to seven to ten miles in another direction then she would have been fine overnight though. It's July in California. Not saying she would have died, but like you're still, you're no less lost the next day. And maybe but then what happens to- the next day? You don't get to a road or a, like you die before getting to any other person in, in the national parks. Maybe they're it, fucking yeah. giant, man. I can see a 14 year old for and sure. Then in, the, in the next 27 years, no one ever finds your body, but they stop looking. Well, sure. But, Millions of people go to Yosemite every year. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for that, especially to like one of the things that I read in some of the details, which not to be gruesome or whatever, but like she had braces. So if you were to find, you know, teeth with braces attached, it would be like pretty easy to identify. Yes, this is, this is from that situation in this area. So can I, This is a story that Politis has covered in his books. Yes. On his website. And he's spoken about frequently in interviews that he does related to all the missing 411 stuff. Yes. I have a transcript of Politis's description and speculation around this specific case. Oh, boy. Can I read it verbatim? Oh, Jesus. Is that a yes? (laughs) I'm nervous, but but I'm here for it. Okay. Is that our first sounder of the episode? Uh, Holy shit, buddy. See, this is what I'm saying. We Now I did too much research and I've just been talking the whole time and we haven't had any good jokes. No, it's not the first one actually. You had no you good had jokes. One earlier. Two sounders. Oh, I've made Why some are you great being so jokes. lazy, don't my even, boy. Don't even worry about Come it. on, man. <laughs> okay, go I'm ahead. I'm speaking for myself. No, you're good. No go jokes. Ahead. Um Okay, this is Politis on a radio appearance speaking about this case. Stacy was 14 when she went on a horse pack trip with her dad and seven other people in the Sunrise Meadows area in Yosemite. And what happened was her dad, her, and this group of people all got on horses and they rode for six or seven miles into the backcountry. They stopped at a series of small cabins. They got out, went in, cleaned up. Stacy told her dad she was going to go outside and take some pictures with her camera. There was a 71-year-old man that was on the trip and he was sitting on a boulder about 100 feet away and she told her dad, hey, I'm going to go sit with this man and take some pictures of the view out over this lake. Her dad and everybody there saw her go walking over to this boulder with the man, take these pictures, 
and she told the man that she was going to walk down the hill 100 yards to the lake and take some pictures of the lake and be right back. Everyone saw her leave the man. The man continued sitting there. They were at about 9,000, 10,000 feet in elevation. She walks down this boulder field into this tree-lined area around the lake, and that was the last time she was ever seen. Fucking boulder field. She never came back, and there was an absolutely massive, massive search for the girl. Um, He goes on, but I want to pause there for a second. So six or seven miles into the backcountry could not be confirmed anywhere. And other ports I I saw said three to four miles. Okay. So he's potentially misquoting the distance uh, that they had rode that day. Appears to be exaggerative in nature. Yes. Um, She, and then when he says that she told the man she was going to walk down the hill a hundred yards to the lake and take some pictures of the lake and be right back. That information was not reported anywhere that I could find. Other than his anecdotal version of the story. Right. So in none of the uh, press clippings from the time, none of the the FOIA information on the Parks website, none of those places uh, reported her saying where that she was going right to that lake 100 yards away and that I will be right back. That was not reported anywhere else. And then the stuff about the boulder field and the elevation. He's implying that those things are somehow related. We have no idea if those things are related. Those are just stuff that he's saying. Also, so what that they're at 9,000 feet of elevation? So what that she walked through a boulder field? Also, nowhere is it reported that she walked through a boulder field. Yeah. I was just going to say, who's... Where did Boulderfield come from? Because we know, as far as I can tell, it only came from David Plaitis's retelling of this story. Like, were there rocks around? Yeah, probably. Was You're it in Yosemite? Yes. Boulderfield. Uh, what do you? What? What's your definition of that, mm-hmm. there, champ? Mm-hmm. And again, like, I think, I think this gets to kind of the core of some of the some of the problems is what level of detail here is a true investigative representation of the base level facts, first person, single source facts that we have about a disappearance of a person and which of them come from extensive hours of research that end up apparently adding a little bit of color to the story that make the story slightly more like a lot of other stories on the uh on the topic of adding color to these stories he goes on in that same interview to uh describe his own experiences researching this case and i'm gonna read again from this transcript he says so there was essentially nothing about that case for 25 or 30 years i made a request on it through yosemite for the freedom of information act to get a copy of that report. A special agent for the Park Service named Yu, like Y-U, called me and asked why I wanted the report. I explained that we were doing some research on search and rescue, and we were specifically looking into people who disappeared at Yosemite, and we wanted to see in the report that was there. And he said there was nothing there. And I said, well, are there any suspects? Is it a criminal case? He said, nope, it's a missing persons case. I said, has anybody looked in the, at it in the past 10 or 20 years? He says, not that I can think of. And I said, 
so there's no suspects and there's no work done on the case, but she hasn't been found? And he said, correct. And I said, okay, well, could you send me a copy of the case? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he said, because it's an open case and you'll never see it. And I said, but we've gotten dozens and dozens of missing persons cases from the Park Service. Why not this case? And he says, you'll never see it. So. Over my dead body, David. <laughs> you'll never see it. Never. In that statement, he's saying. The Park Service has given us dozens and dozens of cases while also participating in this vast conspiracy to extort me out of millions of dollars to get these reports. What a fucking turd. Like, it it can't be both, right? Yes, it absolutely cannot be both. And also, I googled her name and FOIA, and the fir- literally the first result is the Freedom of Information Act materials that the Park Service released and hosts on their own website in perpetuity as a fucking PDF. Well, (laughs) well, and I I mean, I guess maybe that hadn't happened yet at the point that he, at the time that he was on this radio show doing this interview, but like, I don't know. It's just, there's so much, uh, extra drama injected into the retelling of these stories. Like, yes, do you, did, did special agent, you really say you'll never see it. Like, why would any, uh, I mean, I guess I, I, I don't, I wasn't there. I didn't hear this conversation. It just seems weird. And it seems like, it seems, it seems like bad, like dramatic dialogue writing. (laughs) Like no one says that. It's, it sounds, it sounds like a shitty episode of law and order. Yeah. I like some soap opera shit. Right. I, um, I continue to have problems with anything that feels like it might be exaggerative in nature, which the language around these things inherently does. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that the problem with exaggeration is that exaggerating any single instance of a disappearance by if you add any color to it, if you add any fact or you exaggerate any fact, Boy, it is sure easy to pull patterns out of cases. Boulder Fields. If you exaggerate. Any, Point of separation. If you exaggerate a fact of any of them, you can find, you know, if, if, if every case is just a mixing board and I just turn the level up on this one element on all 10 of them. Boulder Field on 10, bud. Boulder Field on 11. Turn mm. it up to 11, bud. Mm. That's how you rock. Bigfoot on a billion. Um, My rock joke was awesome, and you didn't give me any credit for it. Boulders, rocks, get it? We out of here! I'll see myself out. Um, I have two other cases that are covered both on the National Parks Cold Cases uh, page and in David Pletus' Missing 4 and one stuff. If you want to Google them, check out Thelma Melton. This is a case from... This is another one from way back. Where it was like, she just went around a corner and we never found her again. Um, Or maybe she disappeared because she was having an affair. Uh, Or George Penka, P-E-N-C-A. It's a more recent one from 2011, a gentleman who disappeared while hiking in Yosemite as well. 
should we do a quick digest of those on the Patreon this week on the paid episode, or should we just um, let people go get them? Yeah, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> right on. Um, if you like to get, if you would like to get uh, double the amount of the show that you get right now, you could do that by going to Patreon.com/slash What If Podcast. We actually do two full episodes a week. Uh, you are only listening to one of those two episodes a week that we do. Uh, so yeah, check it out at patreon.com slash what a podcast, uh, for five bucks a month, you can get double the show. Also, if you want to send us an email, hi at what if podcast.com or leave us a voicemail at 612-246-4614. And as always, we will see you next week. We love you. Bye-bye. See, you all didn't have to do a bunch of drugs, did you?